Oops, I guess it would help if I put it on, huh? <laughs> I was taking it on and off, on and off. There we go. So we started this morning in worship with Newt and the team. Thank you guys, by the way, that was awesome. Um, on a journey. And I got pretty excited right away because my word this morning also starts with a journey. And then later on, I'm having difficulty with this. I always do, right? Um, Don't move. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> and then the second song had um, something in my message too. So, yeah, I w it was pretty cool. The way the Holy Spirit is always working. Um, and Newt, did we talk at all in the last two months when I was preparing this about what you're... No, absolutely not. But Holy Spirit knew. And so he has us on a journey. So this morning I have a dare for you, but first let's take a journey. Sorry. It's up in my eyes. <laughs> this needs to be up there. <laughs> How to fix it, honey, friend? Well, I can hold scotch, it. Scotch tape. Scotch tape, duct tape right here. All right. All right. Let's try this again. So this morning we're going to take a journey, a journey to childhood, a trip down memory lane. Does this sound familiar? I'm just going to hold this thing. I dare you to eat that worm. Mm-hmm. I dare you to dock on Mr. Brown's door and run and hide. I dare you to lick that frozen pole. I dare you to jump off the high dive. Anybody take or make dares like that when you were a child? I'm sure we all did, right? So when I was in seventh grade, boy, I'm just having difficulties here this morning. Board. It's not the, com it's my computer now. Okay. Doesn't matter. Okay, here we go again. <laughs> so when I was in seventh grade, a new girl showed up in my homeroom. Now, Mr. Jacobson was a teacher, and it was going to be a great year, except for that bangs cut I gave myself. But that's another story for another time. So Kim and I would become best friends that year and be main great friends the rest of our school years. Kim's family also went to my church, so it was like our friendship was ordained by God. We did all the regular church kid stuff like youth group and summer camps, but we did some not-so-usual Christian kid stuff, too, like giving up our entire summer to go overseas as teen missionaries. And it was then, going overseas with Teen Missions International, that I became grounded in my faith 
and God's word. So, as teen girls do, we would have sleepovers often, but one in particular stands out in my mind. It was Kim's birthday, and she was having a sleepover with all of our other friends, and then the dare arrived. Stay tuned for the rest of that adventure. This morning, we're going to be in Acts 2. Sorry, Galatians 2. Acts is part of this, too. <laughs> um, Galatians 2. Galatians was probably one of the first books that Paul would write after his conversion. And in Galatians, he's addressing some family business. And just like we do with family, he wasn't holding back. He was speaking truth because the integrity of the gospel was at stake. His concern was the loyalty to the true gospel. So let's look at Galatians 2, 11 to 21. Galatians 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, they began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that is, so by, that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you like, live like the Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may justify, be justified by faith in one Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. In this passage, we read about a situation between two prominent leaders in the church, Peter and Paul. Now, James, Peter, and John were pillars of the faith. They had been around for a while. They were well-established in the church. And they recognized something in Paul and Barnabas, and they decided to partner with them. They extend the right hand of fellowship, which is koinonia in the Greek. It was an act of signifying acceptance, agreement, and trust. So Paul and Barnabas were sent out to the Gentiles and the other three to the Jews to preach the gospel. The only thing that they were asked to do was to remember the poor. So back in Acts, we read that Paul had fled Jerusalem for Tarsus and Barnabas moved on to Antioch. Now, Antioch was significant because it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, but it was also the center of the Gentile missionary work. 
They even sent missionaries out from there to the Roman Empire. There were many conversions in Antioch. And it was in Antioch that believers were first called Christians. And as we know, that is still relevant today. So let's look at Peter's background for a minute. He was one of the disciples that Jesus poured into. Not only was he one of the three that Jesus pulled aside with him, he was in the inner circle of the Messiah. He was the one in Matthew 16 that Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And he said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter was there at the moment of transfiguration. And after his transformation, he would be breaking bread with the Gentiles, which went against his Jewish traditions. Now, Paul's a new guy as far as being a follower of Christ and preaching the gospel. Peter, on the other hand, has been around a lot longer, as I said. So, Peter's there in Antioch for a while, eating meals with his Gentile brothers and sisters, that improbably concluded some common meals as well as the Lord's Supper. It was a time of very close fellowship, personal relationship, and spiritual encouragement as they shared together. And then the Jews from Jerusalem arrived, and things began to stop to change. These Jews were keepers of the law. They would not eat with the Gentiles. They would not fellowship with them at the table. Their influence started influencing the Galatian church community. And Peter began withdrawing his fellowship from the Gentiles. Peter's hypocritical actions of drawing back from the Gentiles when these men arrived caused even Barnabas to fall into the hypocrisy. Peter and the other Jews there were ignoring that Jewish and Gentile Christians were united under one covenant into one faith. And verse 12 says that fear... There's that word, fear, was a motive for his actions. So Paul observes this, and Paul, of, of course, being Paul, could not keep silent about it. So verse 14 in the Amplified, But when I saw that they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I told Peter in front of everyone, If you, being a Jew, live as you have been living, like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how is it that you are forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews if they want to eat with you? I envision it going something like this. Greg's going to be Peter here. Peter, what are you doing, dude? Don't you see what's happening because of your hypocrisy? You're causing division and hurt. Now, you and I both know that the law can't save anyone. So why are you back to living like a Jew? when you've been breaking bread with the Gentiles for some time now. Are you willing to give up everything that we've worked so hard for? Think of all the converts, Peter. Think of all the missionaries that we've sent out to the Roman Empire. Are you willing to give all of that up out of your fear? The very integrity of the gospel is at stake here, Peter. So why was it called hypocrisy? Well, Peter knew in his heart that there was no distinction between Jew and Gentiles in the church. And in Acts 15, 7, he addressed the Jewish apostles and the elders in state and stated, 
Brothers, now remember, this is Peter talking back in Acts. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles may, might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts with faith. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So back in Acts, he's saying one thing, and then fast forward to Galatians, and he's not living what he had said back there. But because of this Jewish influence, he chose to ignore that. He did this out of fear, not because he had a change of heart. So his fear causes some of those he influenced to be led astray. This is a really big deal because even Barnabas fell into the hypocrisy. Barnabas is the one that invited Paul to come to minister with him. And now he's not openly breaking bread with the Gentile believers. It was becoming the Jewish version of the church over here and the Gentile version of the church over there. Kind of reminds you of the Pentecostals over here and the Baptists over there. You've heard the saying, stronger together. The unity of the church is a compelling truth that aids in furthering the kingdom. What's going to happen if the missionary, if the mission of the gospel in the church of Antioch becomes divided or continues down the road it's heading? It would have been destructive to the furthering of their mission. The very bedrock of the gospel would be perverted and crumble. That is why Paul could not and would not ignore this threat of the gospel being shared. What was taking place was a threat to the very heart of all the work they had done so far. Paul had to address it. If they were truly in Christ, all the differences between them would be set aside. In Galatians 3.28, it says, it talks about, none of these things matter, not our race, our gender, etc. None of those things give us standing or equality in Christ. All those things are set aside in Christ. Paul could not sit back and hope things would change for the better once he observed it getting to this point. When he saw that it was causing his friend Barnabas even to get sucked in, he had to act, and that's exactly what he did. He exposed it for what it really was. So what can we learn from this as a church body? Paul saw the damage, the division it was causing, if the integrity of the gospel is at stake or the unity of the church is at stake, we must protect both. Remember the verse, John thirteen thirty five: they will know us by our love. Not only were the Gentile believers feeling what was happening, the world outside, the people around Antioch, they were observing it too. And the Jewish Believers were not being very loving to the Gentile brothers and sisters. But how would we do that? Protect and stand up for the truth. Well, the first thing that Paul does is ask Peter a question. Because asking a question kind of gets the person to think about what they're doing. Peter has taken up a Gentile lifestyle. 
not living under the law of his Jewish heritage. But now he was trying to get the Gentiles to live like a Jew. Remember, this was all because of his fears. That four-letter bad word, fears, fear. <laughs> so Paul basically says, Peter, what are you doing? So Paul addressed the common ground between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jewish believers knew that it was faith, not works, that makes us righteous before God. That was something that Paul and Peter would both agree upon. The Old and the New Testament both state that only faith can save us. Faith in Jesus can save us, not our works. If the, it was, notice in verse 15, Paul calls them, calls them Gentile sinners. Now, he's not saying that the Gentiles are sinners and the Jews are not. It was just a customary way for the, Gen, to the Jews to talk about the Gentiles. So Peter and Paul agreed that the law could not save us. So the extent of the problem is that if you try to be in right standing with God through good works, you are basically, basically rebuilding the wall that the gospel destroyed. You put back everything that God, that Jesus demolished. So Paul is telling Peter, if you want to put back this barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, then you're a sinner. You've crossed the line, Peter. The spiritual life of every believer is at stake in the issue that Paul is presenting. The potential disunity between the believers and the consequences it has on the gospel message, the kingdom. If you're a Christian, your old life is gone. Your fleshly body is living by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved us and died for us. Shouldn't that motivate us to live for him a life fully submitted to him, a life of obedience and righteousness? If one of your friends sacrifices her life for you to live and to go on with a message or a cause, wouldn't that motivate you to give all for that message or cause? so that their death wouldn't be in vain. A friend did that for you and for me, Jesus. And as his followers, we should be determined that his death is not in vain by living our lives fully for him. If we choose to live under the law, choosing religious performance rather than living by grace, we invalidate what Christ did on the cross for us. Let's read verse 21, Galatians 2:21 again. I did not I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So back to the sleepover story. I don't remember whose brilliant idea it was of drawing on our friends when they fell asleep with markers. But it was a not so brilliant dare. And I was determined not to wake up with a mustache. I successfully stayed awake with Kim, and we did some artwork on our friends. Needless to say, our choices negatively affected other people, and we had some not-so-happy fr friends in the morning. So I dare you, can be good, or it can be not-so-good and mischievous. 
Sometimes, I dare you, can get you into trouble. But sometimes, it can motivate you to achieve a goal, pushing yourself beyond where you would normally go, what you would normally do. So should we speak up as Christians when we observe behavior that is harmful and destructive in or outside the church community? From what we read in Galatians 2, I would say yes. Silent thoughts are not going to beat our adversary, the devil. So I dare you, in the new year, to stand up and speak up for the truth. Because the truth is what sets people free. Not our religious works. It's time to be bold by speaking up and getting involved. We need to be bold in sharing our faith. So let's get practical for a minute. If I'm talking to someone and they start gossiping, what should I do? This is a situation of standing up for truth. Well, first, I need to speak to them in love, right? About what they're doing. Because they're not only harming the person that they're gossiping about, they're harming themselves. It could be as simple as saying, I don't need to know the details. Remember, love always protects. We need to be protecting each other in and out of the church. Most importantly, we must protect our own heart and mind. Doug recently spoke about taking the log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in your neighbors. And I'm not talking about being sin sniffers, but truth speakers, people who set others free in Christ. I heard someone say, do you need to unmute yourself? The only way we're going to get our country back to what our founding fathers intended is to speak up and stand up for the truth. Ask God what part he has for you to do in that. If you hear or see something wrong, speak the truth in love. Let's examine ourselves and ask the hard questions. Have I been silent when I should have spoken up for the truth in the kingdom? Do I need to unmute myself? Did I hear or see something and just leave the situation, maybe the church I was attending, rather than talk to someone? We can't let fear be our motivator. We need to be like Paul, not letting anything hinder the kingdom or the gospel message, not living under the law or trusting our own human efforts, but walking in faith. Let's be determined to live in a way that Christ's death was not in vain. God did not send his son down here to, to die an excruciating death for nothing. It was to set people free. Please stand. So this is the last day of this year, of 2023. It's been a very hard year for many people. There's been a lot of things that have happened, wars and mass shootings. And I mean, just look back at the year. But we have a new year starting tomorrow. That should give all of us hope. So in 2024, I triple dog dare you. 
to live in revival. Shine brighter, scatter the darkness. I dare you to go deeper than ever before. Sink deeper into your relationship with Christ. If you're at your ankles, go to your knees. If you're at your knees, go to your waist. Go in over your head. Go all out for Christ. He went all out for you. I encourage you to be a good listener. What is God saying? Be challenging. Don't speak to tickle people's ears. Speak Christ. Speak truth. In doing so, you will see captives set free. Never stop seeking to find, and you will find answers. Remember, God is on the throne, and Satan is his footstool. We've already won, so let's live like victors. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Father, for the scriptures that you give us to help us live a life of grace and faith and not be chained down to the law. Thank you for the freedom that you give us in that. Father, help us not to get sucked into religious performance, but to live in true freedom in you, to unmute ourselves if we need to, to stand for and speak your truth. Help us to make the necessary changes, God, to do this for the furthering of your kingdom. Thank you, God, for the gift of faith and life. God, reveal our hearts and bring conviction where it needs to be changed. Give us the courage to live beyond our fears and to speak up for the truth, your truth. And Jesus, in the new year, help us to live for you like we never have before. Help us on the focus on the things that merely matter. In your holy name, amen.